welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Tom Cantor is the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries, and more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God can be found at our website, friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Today's message and past messages can be found at our websites for free listening and free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word this morning. We pray that, Lord, you would enlighten our eyes with the same, Lord, enlightenment that when you said, let there be light. Speak it to us now that there might be light in our souls. In Jesus' name, amen. Genesis 15.1, we're going to be covering this verse here this morning. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Now, in our last study, we started this. We saw in verse 1 what had happened to Abram as we read about these things, as this verse starts off. After these things, that's referred to in verse 1. Those were very disturbing things. So we could really plug that word in to this verse after these very disturbing things that had happened to Abram. We saw that these disturbing things were following the slaughter, or really in the slaughter of the kings, where Abraham nearly lost his life, we can imagine. The disturbing thing where Abraham must have been covered with blood, as with all the killing one man after another in the slaughter. That's disturbing. The disturbing thing of having to face this disturbing character of the king of the Sodomites. And after all these disturbing things, God sends a very special word to Abraham. And what a word that was that he sent to Abraham. And that's where we're parked today. Because as Abraham had time to think of all those disturbing things that had happened to him, and the unknown, which was also disturbing to him, of what might happen to him, there's a lot of reasons for Abraham just to be a man of fear. There's a lot of reason for him to be afraid. So the first thing that God says to Abraham is, fear not, don't be afraid. And then God does something very wonderful, as he always does, and that is he gives Abraham a reason to not be afraid. In our line of work, we always talk about evidence-based medicine. That's the big buzzword. We have a new test. We claim that it can detect tuberculosis more accurately than skin tests, and so we say that this is an evidence-based test, or we better make say, that claim, because we did a clinical trial, and the clinical trial with patients who had TB, and we could demonstrate that the claim that our test can diagnose early TB is based on the evidence. So then when we go to schools and we say that they should test all of their teachers, let our lab test all their teachers with our new TB test so they don't spread TB to their students, then we show them the clinical trial evidence and that shows that our test can detect TB. And so we have a new biomolecule for cancer and we want to make the claim that it can stop the growth of cancer. So what do we do? We do a clinical trial. We will do a clinical trial with patients with cancer so that we can say that our new therapeutic is able to stop cancer based on the evidence. And when we go to patients and we say we want to inject you with our new biomolecule for cancer, we'll show them the clinical trial evidence that demonstrates that this can stop cancer. That's meant by evidence-based evidence-based. Every claim or recommendation is based on evidence. As a matter of fact, the FDA can really be called claims police. That's what they are. They're the police and the claims. 
They look to see, I mean, companies would love to make certain claims and sell more product, make money. And so, but the FDA comes along and they look at that. They look to see if any company makes any claims that relate to the cure, mitigation, treatment, or prevention of disease in man or other animals. That's the phrase that's part of the charter for the FDA. And so the FDA looks to see whether there are any claims that anybody's making for the cure, mitigation, treatment, or prevention of disease or any other animal. That's what FDA calls man and other animal. So sometimes, I don't know, what, what can you do? Anyway, and if you do, if you do do that, and uh, just a minute, see, we've got to get everything totally under control, or otherwise it's a disaster. And if you do do that, then they require that there be evidence, and they have to review the evidence, and they'll approve it, and if they approve it, they'll give you or they'll allow you to have the wording on the label. And companies who make claims that are not on their FDA-approved label are guilty of making off-label claims, which is what my whistleblower suit was about against Amgen. I accused them of making off-label claims. So this issue that the label has to have the claims that have been approved by the FDA that are based on the evidence. And in essence, the FDA is making sure that the claims are evidence-based. Well, God makes also evidence-based claims. That's the point. And he wants us to have this evidence in our minds so that we can have evidence-based faith. And as a matter of fact, this book here, this is the book of the evidence. That's it. This is the book of the evidence that God has given to us. It's the record. For example, he says in Psalm 81.10, God says, I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. Open thy mouth wide, and I will fill it. So in that verse, God has made a claim, a claim that if the Jewish people open their mouth wide, then he's going to fill it. In other words, if anyone comes to God, this is the claim, if anyone comes to God and opens his mouth wide and cries to God to satisfy the deep needs of his heart, the deep longings of his heart, He claims that he will, he promises, he claims that he'll satisfy. He'll abundantly satisfy. Now, that's a claim. Open thy mouth wide and I will fill it. The FDA were around, they would say, that's a claim. So, and they would also say, where's the evidence for that claim? So God provides the evidence, he says, from history, when he says, I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. See, that's history. That's the evidence. So he's saying to them that their ancestors in the desert, that he supplied for them manna. He's saying to them that there was, and he wants them to think, there was not one day that went out of 40 years in which the millions of Jewish people who were back there in that desert for 40 years. So, you know, if there was 2 million people, that's 80 million man years. I don't know, that doesn't mean anything. But anyway, 40 years, millions of Jewish people never missed a meal. They never went hungry. They never did. And so God is saying that from Psalm 81.10, he's saying to them, now you have a deep hunger in your heart, a thirst in your soul, come to me. I will fill it. I will fill that hunger in your soul. I will fill that thirst within you. Come to me. Because that great big hole in your heart that's emptiness that you feel, I can feel that. I will feel that if you come to me. See, that's the same thing that the Lord Jesus Christ said. And if you like to turn to that in John 6.35, is the same claim that he made in John 6.35 when it says, um, John 6.35 says, and Jesus said unto them, this is one of the great I am verses, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Now that's the claim. That's a claim right there. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He's claiming that. 
He that believeth on me shall never thirst. He's claiming that. And so the question is, where's the evidence for that claim? The evidence in that claim is found in the verses above it. In verses 32, where it starts off, and look at the evidence that he gives. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life for the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto him, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth in me shall never thirst. See what he's doing here? He says the evidence is the same thing we just talked about with the two million people for the 40 years. It's the manna. It's all about the manna. It's all about Psalm 8110. It's the manna. That means that whenever we encounter hunger in our soul or a hungry soul or a thirsty soul, God wants us to point to the history of the provision of the manna as evidence that God can satisfy the deep longings of the heart. That's the point. And now God says to Abraham that he should not fear. He should not fear. And so he provides the evidence for this by calling out these two symbols or two elements here, the shield and a reward. Now, what has Abraham just been thinking about? He's been thinking about the slaughter of the kings. He's been going over this. It's disturbing with the slashing and the blood and the so forth, and that he was protected by the shield. Abraham was protected by the shield, and he did not come back empty-handed. Those are the two things. Abraham's thinking about he was protected by the shield, and he was thinking that he did not come back empty-handed. And so he had this large reward in his hand, so much so that the king of Sodom had his eye, so did a lot of people, on that reward. So God says to Abraham, Abraham, your shield that I caused to protect you and the reward that I caused you to be able to take are the evidences for why you should now not fear. So when God made this claim to Abraham that he should not fear, he calls out two evidences to support his claim for not fearing, the protection that he gave him, the shield, and the provision that he gave him, the reward. And he's just returned from the slaughter. And he has his life, and he has his, his wealth that he's got. He gives it up. So, in our last study, we considered how a shield has two sides the one side that you stand behind, and the other side that you stand in front of, or the side that protects you, or the side that faces the enemy. And we imagined Abraham last week, we imagined Abraham sitting down and looking at his shield from those two sides. And he looks at the side of the shield, he stands behind the shield, he looks at the shield where he stood and he thinks to himself, well, I was safe behind this shield. This shield really did the job. When I stand behind this shield now, I can say, this is the shield of Abraham, as he holds it up there. When I look at the shield from behind, it's a shield that protected me. That's what he gets from it. So from behind the shield, Abraham looked at the shield subjectively, what it did for him. And it protected him. And he said, this is a great shield. I stand behind it now. It protects me. I needed that shield to protect me. This is my shield. I own this shield. And then as Abraham turns the shield around and he looks at the shield from the other side, he now looks at it objectively. And looking at the shield objectively, he appreciates all that the shield endured. He sees the slash marks, as we said. He sees the stab marks in the shield. He remembers holding onto that shield as he bore the slash and stabs the shield was protecting him from. 
So from that angle, it's not the shield of Abraham, but Abraham could say, I want everyone to know this shield. He already said this. I want everybody to know this shield is the shield of Abraham. But standing in front of it now, I see something different. This is a shield now to me. This is a shield to me. It's the shield. When I stand behind it, it's the shield of Abraham. When I stand in front of it, it's the shield to Abraham because I can see it objectively. And now I see all that this shield endured to save me. And I can see it so clearly now since it's in front of me now. It's a shield to me. And that one word, to Abraham, is so very, very important. That's how the Hebrew reads. It doesn't read like what says here, I am thy shield. It reads, it reads, I am the shield to you, Abraham. And so he's saying here, I am a shield to you. So you always remember, I want you to always remember that God used the word to in this verse when he said, I am a shield to you. There's a nice reminder for us of the word to. It's found in the name of the Israeli airlines, you know, the name of the Israeli airlines. Very interesting name, the name of the Israeli airlines. It's, it's not a name like American Airlines or Japan Airlines or Air France or British Airways. It's not like a name like that. You think they should have called it that, you know? They should have called it Israeli Airlines or Air Israel or Hebrew National Airlines. <laughs> but then you'd think you're riding in a hot dog. <laughs> so that wouldn't work. Can't call it Hebrew National Airlines. So instead, the name of the Israeli airlines is like no other name, of course, like no other name of any other airlines, because what it does, the name of the Israeli airlines, is it describes two parts about their company. It describes the what and the how of the Israeli airlines. So it's made up of two words, El, which does not mean God, and Al. So the name is El Al, airlines, as you know. And those two words describe the what and the how of the airlines. The word L means two. That's the word in our text here, two. Only they shorten a little bit, but it still means that. It's L and it means two, and that describes the what of their airlines. Their company is dedicated to taking you to your destination. At least you hope so. The other word, Al, it means on. That means on. And that describes how the airline is going to take you to your destination. It's going to be on their planes. So the company is saying in their names, come to our company and we'll take you to L, your destination, on Al, our plane. So every time you see L, Al, then you'll think it means to on. I hope you do. And I want you to also think of that first word, L, because that's the word that God used here in Genesis 15.1 when he said, I am a shield to you, a shield to you. So God said to Abraham that he should stop and he should look at how God has been a shield to Abraham and that should encourage Abraham. Now, from that perspective of facing the shield, Abraham could see something that he could not fully appreciate from his position of standing behind the shield. With all those scar marks, he looks at all those scar marks in the shield, Abraham could appreciate how the shield had protected him by virtue of the position of the shield in the battle. See, that's the issue. It's the issue of the position of the shield in the battle. It's because Abraham looks at the shield and imagines himself standing behind. So again, now, Abraham is looking at the shield and he's imagining himself standing behind the shield. Now, all those marks on the face of the shield, he could see the vital position of the shield in the battle, the vital position. And those words come to Abraham as he sees the position of the shield in the battle, and it's the words in between, in between. And Abraham struck with this. 
And he sees a shield there, and he's looking from being just the shield of Abraham, not just the shield of Abraham that protected him, but now he sees, he saw in the shield that was to Abraham, he could see something he never appreciated before as he gets off and looks at it objectively and sees the shield to Abraham. By looking at the front of the shield and imagining that he's standing behind in the place where the, and being protected, but he's standing in the place where the enemy was standing, he says, oh, I see it, I got it, Abraham says, I got it. This shield stood in between me and the enemy. And with that realization, Abraham has come to a new appreciation of the shield because now it's not just a shield that protected Abraham from the enemy. Now it's the shield that stood in between Abraham and the enemy. In fact, Abraham could see so clearly at the way the shield protected him. This is how the shield protected him. The shield protected him by standing in between Abraham and the enemy. And so now when Abraham hears God says, I am a shield to you, Abraham would say, I got it. I understand. God protects me from the enemy by being a shield that stands in between me and my enemies. And that's what God wants us to see. He wants us to see from that statement he made to Abraham, I am a shield to you, that the way God protects us is that he stands in between us and the enemies. In fact, it's a wonderful title. It's a new title for God that we can give God, that we should take away. We want to take away, this is a takeaway message from today's lesson. And that's the title of God is our in-between God. That means God stands in between us and our enemies. And where have we seen God do this before? Where in the scriptures have we seen God stand in between to shield? And well, we see him as our in-between God when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Turn to this in John 18, 7 through 8. Because here, we're in the Garden of Gethsemane now, in John 18. And the Garden of Gethsemane where the officers have come now, and they've come to arrest him. And they've come to arrest his disciples as well. And the Lord Jesus is there, and he's the shepherd and the disciple of the sheep. And so he is the in-between shepherd, as the in-between God. We see him move in here. And what happens is that when the officers are stepping in to arrest him and the disciples, he steps in between in John 18, 7, and it says, Then asked he them again, Whom seek ye? Of course they were seeking him. And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. If there you seek me, let these go their way. See what he did? He stepped in between them in between them, the enemy and his disciples. And he said, let these go away. You just want me. Take me. Let these go away. That's a picture of our God as the in-between God. He protected his disciples from being arrested by being a shield and stepping in between them and the officers. Now, another place we see God as the in-between God is very interesting. You might want to turn to this now, Exodus 14, 19. Exodus chapter 14, 19. Because in this place, of seeing our in-between God at work is when the children of Israel, they've left Egypt. Pharaoh and his army are chasing them down. They're in hot pursuit after them. And it's very interesting to watch the position of God in this sequence of events that happens here. It's going in a rather rapid succession, but it's ascribed to us how God changes his position and the pursuit, and it starts in verse 19, Exodus 14, 19. And the angel of God, 
which went before the camp of Israel. Now, don't be confused when it says the angel of God, because we're going to find that the angel of God is going to move position, and then the angel of God is going to be called the Lord. So think of him as the Lord. The angel of God, which went before the camp, removed and went behind them. See, he went before the camp, and then he removed and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud went from before their face and stood behind them. So God, it was called here the angel of God, moves from before the camp where the pillar is, and then it comes to behind the camp. And it came between, it says in verse 20, it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. And it was a cloud and darkness to them, but it gave light by night to these, so that the one came not near the other all the night. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back with a strong wind all that night, and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went in after them in the midst of the sea. So they didn't even stop. The Egyptians, they said, well, go chase them, go chase them down. But captain, this is the Red Sea. It's just dry. It doesn't matter. Go after them. So they went after them into the midst of the sea. Even all, it was not just a part, but it was all of Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, his horsemen. And it came to pass that in the morning watch that the Lord looked unto the hosts of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire of the cloud. So the Lord is in the pillar of fire, which is moved from the before the camp to the end of the camp, and he sticks his head out, so to speak, and he troubles the Egyptians and took off their chariot wheels. They drove them heavily so that the Egyptians said, let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fighteth for them against the Egyptians. So you see these words. We say we have the angel of God. He's the Lord because he's called the Lord later. And that means the first, the children of Israel leaving, they need direction. Where do we go? So he's in front and he's showing them, you know, we're going this way, we're going that way. They're following like a shepherd is leading his sheep. And then all of a sudden, what happens? Pharaoh and his army are getting closer. They're chasing him down, and they're getting closer. And then notice the angel, as we saw here, the angel of God. God, he changes positions. He was the one who went before them. Now he removes and he goes behind. And as the danger approaches even closer, then we see that he speaks about being in between. He's the shield in between them and their enemies. And they start to cross the Red Sea and they're getting closer and closer and they're hoping for their enemies are licking their chops, hoping for a great slaughter. And then it says that God, he sticks his head out of this pillar and he puts his face out there in this position of being in between. And it says there, the Lord looked unto the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and the cloud. And he's in between now and his faces in between. And the Lord Jesus, in essence, in that place, as he sticks out of the pillar, his head out of the pillar of fire, he's in essence saying to the Egyptians, over my dead body. In other words, he's saying, you'll have to go through me to get to them. That's our God. Our God is a shield that's the in-between God. And so interesting for us from what we see here about him looking out in the pillar of fire and defying the enemies who are our enemies like that, when we understand that. And our greatest enemy for mankind are not Pharaoh and his army. It's the enemy of death. It's the enemy of the grave. And in this case, look in Hosea chapter 13, verse 14, Hosea 13, 14, where he, same thing happens here. He inserts himself in that shield position in between us and death. And as it says in Hosea 13, 14, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. Oh, death, 
I will be thy plagues. O grave, I will be thy destruction. Repentance shall be hid from mine eyes. So there was the power of death, just like the Egyptian army, pursuing hot on our trail, hot after us, with an eternal grave chasing us down. And our great in-between God inserts himself like the shield right in between us, death and the grave, and it's chasing us. And like a shield in between us, with death that's on our heels, just like he did in the pillar of cloud, he sticks his face out to death, makes it very, very personal, calls death by its name. Oh, death, he calls out, oh, death, I will be thy plagues. He calls the enemy by his, play, by his name. In essence, he's saying, hey, death, I'm your new opponent. You've been plaguing my people. Meet your new plague. Another great day of studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Now, today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor by going to our online bookstore and our website located at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. Or you can call us for more information at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Now our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, is the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. And to learn more about Jewish evangelism or obtain free resources or send a free gospel gift from Tom Cantor to your lost Jewish friend, visit IsraelRestoration.org, IsraelRestoration.org. Thanks for listening to Friendship with God with Tom Cantor. What are you doing this Thursday? Come to the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California for our Thursday night Bible study and fellowship. This Thursday, we'll have a Support Israel rally with the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries and Friendship with God Bible teacher, Tom Cantor as he teaches us how we can bless and support Israel and reach lost Israel. So join us this Thursday at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California, this Thursday night at 6.30 p.m. Call us for more information at 619-599-1104, 619-599-1104, or go online to creationsd.org, creationsd.org.